Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode. I am here today with Karen Doobie. Karen mentors women to create a life and business that takes their breath away. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to dive in. Um, for those of the listeners who don't know you, could you just maybe tell us a little bit about your background and kind of how you got into the work that you do? Yeah, so to give you a very abridged, shorter version of that, um, I, I studied a few different kinds of things. I studied in the sciences. So I have a science background um, in biology and psychology and nutrition. And so I do like the practical or the pragmatic, logical, linear type of thinking very much so and data information strategy so i have a i have a strong at, like background in the sciences where that's part of me alchemizing the work that i do and then then i started to really get into the spiritual realm like more of the the yoga and the breath work and the meditation practice so there's that um element of not just spirituality, but the energetics of kind of uh, transmuting or making changes that are transformational in our entire lives and our beings. And it's not just the strategy or tactic. It's not just a formula, um, but because nutrition became very much like a cookie cutter recipe, like this is the diet, this is the American Dietetic Association kind of diet protocols and diabetic diet and the heart diet. And there were so many different kind of systematized things. And I just felt that um, it was lacking something. So I started studying Eastern medicine as well. And I became an Ayurvedic practitioner, which is the sister science to yoga. It is more of yoga is more of the, the, the body element and um, Ayurveda is more the I mean, I'm sorry, the opposite. Yoga is more of the mind part and Ayurveda is the body part. And both of them are kind of interconnected with the soulfulness and the spirituality of it. So, and the philosophical elements behind it. So that became extremely an attractive sort of paradigm or, or way of being and living and holistic in its approach. So I, I think that my current ideas of cohesiveness is really a mixture it's like part science part woo-woo spirituality and um, a lot of self-awareness a lot of self-discovery in 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 the makings of who we become I love that and I think that there couldn't be a more perfect combination like I am I am very much into the spiritual and the woo-woo but I also like to have the facts and I like to have a plan and I think it's so helpful to have both yeah. Yeah. And then I think uh, even you and I both have 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 in our collective understandings and learnings, we, we've been introduced at some point or another to human design, which really taps into a combination of different influences as well, which I really like. And then we start learning and identifying why is it that I need to have some, I'm a fact person, or why is it that I am more a flyby, you know, uh, trial and error person? And we really start to learn how it is that we've become who we are and how to align with that. Yeah, I love human design. It, I, It's kind of, um, for me, just a hobby at this point. Like I use it in my coaching as a helpful tool, but I don't feel like I'm an expert on it, but I'm so fascinated by it. And I can't stop consuming all the human design content. I'm obsessed. I'm, I'm pretty much at the same kind of 
the same kind of uh, understanding of it. I, I, I know a considerable amount of human design. I interpret it, I understand it, I embody it, and I can share information about it, but I'm certainly, I don't, I don't think of myself as like a human design coach. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's great. Like whatever amount you want to incorporate, that's what's so cool is even just learning your energy type. That's what I learned first. And I was like, okay, I'm a generator. Like this is what this means. And then get digging deeper into like the lines and the gates and the, and all of this. And so you really yeah. take it at your own pace and it's helpful no matter where you're at with it. Um, you, I am obsessed with your social media right now. It's amazing. I love that you're still doing reels. We're still doing reels. We're still doing reels. <laughs> Sometimes I'm like, you know what? I'm a generator and I can't commit to something for a year because I may just decide I don't want to do it anymore and I have to listen to my sacral. And then it's like, but I committed and I'm a very committed person. So um I don't hate doing it, but it's, it's definitely, I don't always want to do it. Same. I've been, I have a, an interesting relationship with it because I said I would do it and I'm going to, I'm going to finish, but I do feel I work best when I'm like in the energy and I'm in the inspiration. And it's kind of like, unless I'm batching content, which that's really helped. But, um, if I, if I run out of pre-made content and I'm having a day, I'm like, eh but I'm going to do it. I'm, I, at this point, it's a habit. At this point, I don't even think about it. I just post my reel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love I it. I think batching, batching is, is a good, is a good part of social media branding. Yeah. Build up, you know, it, it, it yeah. so that you don't have to become a slave to anything and it becomes something that you're just, you're just doing, you have backup plans. You can be very in the moment on days that you want to, and then you could have a backup plan. I think some people batch for like a month in advance and then I, I, I have never actually gotten to that point where I batch a month's advance, but um, I think if you have a month's worth of content pre-done and then you, you can show up live as often as you want and do it on the day, but then knowing you have backup on those particular days where you're just not feeling like doing it or you don't have the time or life happens and you don't have the ability to get to do it then I think it changes the energy of what you put into it. So it's good to have backups, I think. Totally, totally. And there have been days where all I could bring myself to do, I'm like sitting on the couch, my pajamas, just like having one of those like, oh, days. And I'm like, I am going to make a reel of a quote. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I will not be appearing in this reel. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes those are the ones that are like getting the most attention because People want a quick thing. They don't always want to just hear people talking all the time. So it's good to have a variety also. I had this one reel. It was like five seconds long. It was a quote that I had posted a while back on Facebook and I like reused it. And I was in the worst energy. I was just exhausted. We just gotten home from a trip. I was, I felt like I was about to get sick. I was just like, oh, this is horrible. Nothing good's going to come from this energy, but I'm going to post a reel because I said I would. That was like the biggest reel I've ever had. <laughs> no. Yeah. Energetically, you said it to start, you know, it's like in your, when you're not, when you're not there, somehow it kind of just comes through. It does. Yeah. It's amazing. Um, I love how you're normalizing and standing for wealth for healers. Could you tell us a little bit more about that? For sure. Um, I, 
would say that since my background in teaching yoga and being in the healing kind of um, profession or career path for many, many years, I saw a lot of scarcity mindset. I'm not, I'm not um, making this a, like a, a, a full, a full uh, idea as to every yoga teacher or every healer has to have a scarcity mindset. But I did witness a lot of scarcity from practitioners who would say, you know, this is, this is good service that we're doing and we shouldn't have to charge. And I, I think there's some conflict or a misunderstanding about the idea of charging for services because it is a service of healing in that modality makes, has, has made a lot of people feel like um, it doesn't feel good to be profitable from, from doing this work. And like Seva is like um, in the service of Seva. And so I, I've heard a lot of people say, no, well, Seva is, is it's, it, it's not the same as pro bono. Pro bono is the choice to not charge. And that's perfect. If you're choosing to not charge, that's one thing. But if you're feeling um, incongruent with the idea of the business element of it. I once had a mentor who said, if you're in a business and you're in a service and you don't, and you just want to do the service and not the business, you're never going to grow it to a level that is going to be making, making it easy for you to, to do it with fluidity. You have to embrace the business element of it. And that's where I think I really started to become more attracted to the idea of how do I do this business part? Because uh, it was just not my background. I never took business classes. I never, I never knew finances and and all of that economics and whatever stuff. That was the worst, the worst part of study for me. It was just give me science classes, give me psychology classes, and I'm good. But give me math and all that kind of stuff. So, no, thank you. So that became something I had to. I had to become better at business. Yeah, it's so important. And I agree with you. I see a lot of scarcity um, in really with healers and with people that do spiritual work. And to me, it's so sad because some of the best paid professions are people who heal the body, like doctors. And so it's like, as a society, why are we valuing that over healing our souls or healing spiritually, or even healing our body in an alternative way? It's just a very... Um, it's very mismatched. And I think it's something, I hope anyway, that's changing. Yeah. And the other thing to compound that I also took note of is whether it was whatever, whatever healing modality, because there's so many amazing different practitioners out there. Um, there, there became this idea of like charging for the services and lowering the prices and not feeling able to, to, to command a certain kind of price point. And if we're doing, and I'm not comparing the work of a healing practitioner to a doctor as, as a hierarchy of better or worse. It's just doctors have zero problem making you sit in a waiting room for an hour plus time and have multiple people scheduled for the same time. Yet we as healers feel um not right charging for the hour for a private service and we're giving the full hour we're we're not double booking we're not making you wait you come you from 11 to 12 your your session is 11 to 12 and so i think that 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 kind of sentiment also makes makes a lot of healers um 
feel that they have not been able to charge what they want to charge. People also, for whatever reason, want to barter with the idea of it. Like, oh, would you be able to do it for less? I really can't afford it. But again, you wouldn't go to a doctor's office and, and do the same. You may charge it. You may ask for a payment plan, but you're not going to ask for special favors the way that people seem to do that with healing practitioners. Yeah, it's so true. And even when you say like, your sessions from 11 to 12, some healers go over that. So you sometimes you're like in the moment and they need more and you give more. And we still, there's a lot of people that still feel like they shouldn't charge. And then people feel, I mean, I've been a massage therapist for 12 years now. And over time I've raised my prices and I actually charge quite a lot um, for my work. And I've had a lot of pushback on that. Like, People don't think that I should charge what I charge. And it's it's very interesting, just like as a society, it just shows what we value, I think. Yeah, I think everyone um, is quite judgmental on people's price points. On Everyone has an opinion about it. I have um, my esthetician. I have, I have monthly appointments. I schedule it a year in advance with her. And if I have to cancel, I cancel. But she gets so busy that I schedule it a year in advance. That's a good and, esthetician. <laughs> yeah, she's fantastic. And uh, she, she's pretty pricey. I think, I think um, just in comparison to other, other ones. But I think she does excellent work. And when I tell people, if they ask me um, how much she charges, I tell them. And they're like, whoa, that's super expensive. You know what? She's entitled to do whatever she wants. And you have the prerogative to say, I can do it or not, but she's not too expensive. She's charging what she is valuing her work as, mm -hmm. and you either can do it or not. Same thing with like, like the four-star restaurants or the Michelin star restaurants. Like, yeah, you can go buy a regular burger at a, at a burger joint, or you can go to uh, a Michelin star restaurant and get like top of the line and pay an enormous amount for a burger. Is it worth it? Perhaps. I think that that's the beauty of understanding how people live their life in different um, value systems. And you can either choose to or not to, but to judge people for what they charge. I don't want to be judgmental of the people who are judging, but I just think it's a, it's a lack of, it's a lack of um, growth or awareness for people to, to have to ascribe what they think on someone else's price point. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Um, it's interesting too, because I think one of the, the shifts that I had to get to when I was in the process of raising my prices, one of the times that I did, I was like, just because somebody can't afford to see me doesn't mean that they're not going to be able to afford to get a massage. Like they can go somewhere else to someone who charges less. And it's the same with a Michelin star restaurant, just because you can't afford a Michelin star restaurant doesn't mean that you can't afford any food, you know? So it, yeah, it's all it's something that we really do get to like, I think shift and, um, work on having a better mindset around. And I, you talk a lot about, about money and mindset and how we can shift that. Um, and I'd love for you to tell us like, what are some of the most common money blocks and how can we clear those? So for starters, I think bartering is, is like a number one money block that people have because Let's say I wanted to have massage with you and I 
but it was a big step for me and I didn't have the money to do it. I would say, hey, can, can we swap services? So what's happening here is I end up devaluing your service because I'm not actually paying for it. It's not money out of my pocket. And so there becomes a less a, a lesser value of it. It doesn't mean that I don't have a good experience or enjoy it or or think you're wonderful, um, but 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 there's something for paying for services that makes it more valuable. Um, I used to, when I first started um, nutrition, I became a registered dietitian and I worked at um, a fitness, a wellness fitness place and they would give complimentary nutrition sessions that I would conduct for each new client or patient or member, whatever you call them. And a lot of them would just not show up because it was complimentary. So they didn't have enough, they didn't have skin in the game. Yeah. When you're not paying for something, you lack skin in the game often. Mm -hmm. So I'm not, I'm not paying for it. I'm lacking skin in the game as an investment. So my, my um, commitment to it automatically starts to be less. Then on the flip side of it, if we're bartering and you're not paying for it, you're not giving me money. I'm now giving you my service, but I'm not receiving any exchange financially from it. I'm not, ex I'm not receiving the money. And when I'm not receiving the money, it's like a universe um, sort of communication that, that I'm, I'm not open to receive financial reimbursements for, for my, my service. It's not that I'm not receiving something. I'm happy to help and all of that kind of stuff. And, and we're having an exchange. There's something there, but, but the, the money exchange is not there. And so I'm not anti-bartering, but I am pro capping that and making sure that you don't, don't just do it because you're afraid to invest or you're afraid to ask for what you financially deserve for that. So it, it would be best in those kind of things to not give friends free, free consulting or free services, but to maybe have a friends and family discount. So they know that they're getting something because they're friends if you want, but, but not to just barter it and not receive some sort of compensation financially for it. So I think that that's, that's one thing that we, we, we as healing practitioners tend to do for fear of investing and for fear of asking for what we rightfully deserve to be paid financially. Um, another block is hedging our bets. And hedging our bets really means that we're, like you claim what you want. I, I claim I wanna make a six figure month, but I'd be happy if I made, you know, 30,000, 40,000, whatever the number is. And I, I, I'm throwing that completely randomly out there. Whatever it is, uh, I want 10 clients, but I'd be happy if I had five. Uh, I'd want 100 people attending my workshop, but I'd be okay if I had like 60. So we, we, we have a, a real goal and then we alter the goal almost because we're a little concerned that we're not gonna meet the goal. So instead of disappointing ourselves after the fact, we, we, we lower the ceiling. And so we're hedging, we're kind of, cutting off part of like our ultimate goal to like clean it up a little and make it a little more tidy so that we won't disappoint ourselves, but we'll still know inside, like, oh, I didn't get the, the hundred people to my workshop. I got 60. Am I going to be disappointed 
even if I said I would be okay with 60, I still kind of wanted 100. So I, I know that intuitively or in the privacy of my own mind. So it's not a matter of um, really, really eliminating a disappointment when you do that. It's just, it, it's almost like you're doing a mind game and there's no reason to it. have a big goal. Understand that not being attached to the goal, but having a big goal and being congruent and aligned with the ideas of manifesting that goal. Because once you start trying to like chop it, then you're, you're, you're lessening your ability to make it to the big goal. And you're, you're now, if we have that lesser goal, that lesser goal becomes what we're like aiming for. And so we, now if we don't even aim there, we're now less than what we wanted for our hedged goal, let alone our big goal. Does that make sense? Yes. I love that. And I feel like it's like this energy of here's what I really, really want. Here's my pure, true desire, but I don't trust the universe to be able to deliver that to me. So then we're just putting this energy out there of like mistrust in ourselves and in the divine. Right. Yeah. It's a mistrust in the universe. It's a mistrust in ourselves. It's, it's a lack of commitment to our truest desires. Yeah. Those are so helpful. I love both of those reframes so much. Um, you're talking in one of your reels about up-leveling to a first-class life, which I loved. Could you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah. So I, I, um, a first-class life came from this idea. I, I, I didn't make this up actually. I, I, it was, it was something I read about and I loved the idea because Steve Harvey talks about, um, a first class ticket. If you go on an airplane and you just pay a little extra money and you take a first class flight and you experience all of the, the lavish, the wide seats, the, the luxuries, the complimentary services, the concierge of all of it. Um, also, when you take a long flight and you are in first class, I've experienced that you leave feeling refreshed rather than getting off the plane, like off my back, my feel so tight. I had no room and a little cranky. So there's, there's a very different experience in the first class, no doubt. Everyone knows it. And I think that that's why I find this one to be a beautiful example because everyone knows it. you pass by first class to fly on a plane, you go through it to get to the other side to, to, or to the other areas of the plane and economy cabin. And so if you do it first class and you experience that and you feel it, then the next time when you go through first class and you go to your economy seat, you're going to have this subconscious thought in your head that lingers like, I want that. I, I, I don't want to be back here. I want to be over there. I, I, I want more. <laughs> and it's human desire to want more. I mean, we're, we're, always, we're always going for the next. As soon as you achieve a goal, you want the next. As soon as you 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 get to some place, there's another place. So it's not that we're stingy or or um, just gluttonous. We just it's part of the human experience, and we want to seek pleasure. And so those kinds of things are the upgrade in life because we're doing it by conscious choice. So if you go to economy, it's not really a choice. It's more of an oblig obligatory, like an obligation. It creates a little bit of friction, like fine, I'll take it, but I'd rather that. And then there's even like some upgrades. There's the comfort seats. So, so there's economy, there's comfort, there's business class, there's first class. And the ideas of these kind of categories are so symbolic in life, not just limited to a seat on an airplane, but where in our life are we living in the economy class seat of 
obligation. Um, the clothes that we wear, the restaurants that we dine in, the places that we go, um, the things that we do for hobbies and whatnot, the everything we do has something to do with money being a parameter as to making those decisions. Mm -hmm. And if you're living an economy life, are you are you doing it with a little bit of friction? It's not by choice. It's just because it's what what is available to you, or are you able to upgrade some of those to to the place where you feel the joy, you feel the the expansion, you feel the up level of you. And there's a lot of um, nuances that go on with that kind of um, paradigm. Like for instance, maybe someone who um, chooses to have their hair and done at the most beautiful place. They get their hair colored, they get their hair highlighted and glazed and blowouts once a week. But when it comes to their makeup, they're going to like a like a, a, a CVS or Target or whatever's like local to them and buying like the, the cheapest of stuff. So So in some areas we might be willing to go the extra and spend it. And then in some areas in the same category, we're not. Maybe your gym clothes are, are really very, very um, modest, but you're going to the most poshy, um, like luxury gym facility. So sometimes we have some contradictions in, in our, our seats of economy versus comfort versus business versus first class. And the question then becomes, where in your life, if you were to like tally up all the different areas from relationships to business, to career and finances and personal growth and development, your spiritual development, your um, diet and lifestyle and health and wellness, where are you living in any of those categories and how are you doing it? And then you start getting this kind of bird's eye view of where you're living in a more confined type of experience versus an expansive, joyful, proud, upgraded experience. It's not just about money. I mean, the lipstick that we choose to wear is not just about how much we spent on it, but it's knowing that sometimes we think we cut corners on the things that may be perceived or not perceived by others. And the way that I've heard it is like, you might spend a lot of money on the outfit you're wearing, but your underwear may be like, you know, no frills kind because no one's really getting to see it. But when we wear that, the reason why there are like beautiful companies like Victoria's Secret that make more, more lushy kinds of uh, garments for undergarments for women is because it feels different. It feels more luxurious and it feels more first class. So those are really big ideas to look at and see where we might be having some money blocks that are keeping us in the economy seat. I love that so much. I started investing once a week in getting my uh, hair and makeup done. And it's an expense, like for sure, it's expensive. But every day that I do it, the content that I make is better. And I actually, like if I had, that's when I schedule my podcast interviews, that's when I create content. That's, and I'm not going to waste a makeup appointment, you know, like I get my makeup done and then I get to work and I get as much done during that day with my makeup done as I possibly can. And so to me, it's worth it. Sometimes when you spend money on yourself, it just puts you in this vibration or in this energetic state where it's absolutely the return on investment. It's like right there. Yeah. 
And this goes even like just for listeners that it's not just about the, the, the spending of the dollar amount. Let's say I have a candle and I'm holding onto the candle for a special occasion or something like we have silverware we only use for special occasions or dishware or whatever. That's kind of like in an economy place because you're, you're not allowing yourself to experience the, the extravagance of something special more regularly in your life. It may or may not exist in every realm of life, but like things like that, like, oh, I, so just looking at, like, I have a beautiful candle. Why, why, why do I have to wait for a special person to be here or a special occasion? Why can't I just light it? Because, because it's, it's for me. And that would be a first class decision on lighting the candle just for me. And that's not necessarily money, money uh, decisions, but it's, it's, it's value in first class experiences. Yes. Uh, you're like calling me out because um, Corey, my partner buys me anthropology candles every Christmas. They're my favorite <laughs> and they're expensive candles. And I'm like, so stingy with them. I'm like, you know, <laughs> save that for another day. Like it's the anthropology candle, but like, no, this is my life right now. I need to just burn the candle. So I had a similar experience with, um, with, I think it's called bath body works. Yeah. They have, um, like during Christmas time, they have this scent of body soaps that I just adore and candles. So I used to like for a couple of years, one is called Mary cookie uh, and I loved it. And I would buy a couple and I, I would use it during that time. And I would get really stingy with using it because I wanted to save it because I knew that it only happens at a certain time of the year. And then last year, what I did was I bought a surplus, like I bought two dozen and I, I use it all through the year. And I'm like, you know what? I don't have to be stingy. I can experience this all year now because the idea of being stingy about using what I wanted to use was so in that economy seat. It was like an economy life. And I wasn't really getting to extract the joy of using what I would love to use because I was saving it for whatever. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I love that. That's such a good tip. Um, How do you help your clients to shift their identity around wealth and adopt a millionaire mindset? And what is a millionaire mindset? A millionaire mindset is, is people think often that successful people have it so easy. And that if I had, if I didn't have the money problems, life would be so easy. And yes, it, it helps, but it doesn't curate or create people without money are the same people, the same problems that people with money might have too. Um, my husband used to say, uh, an asshole without money is going to just be a bigger asshole with money because you don't change who you are. We are who we are. And if you're a kind person, you're going to be even kinder because you have money and you can use that money for the better good of helping people too. That's what a kind person without money becomes a kinder person or even more kind with money. A a hard-hearted person a wounded person is going to still be a wounded person and feel wounded with money because they're going to start feeling like all the people only want them because of their money and they're still because their wounds are still there. And so it's the money mindset, the, the secret sauce to feeling the luxury of millionaire mindset is 
changing your, your mindset from scarcity to abundance and from um, problems to solutions and creating a, an expansive growth mindset from a more limited kind of um, contracted mindset. So a lot of it, a lot of it is just our perspective and learning how to like reprogram our mindset so that we, we shift it. And it's not that the shift creates the money, but it shifts the person who can then make the money and be the person they want to be. Yeah. I, yeah, that's so true. We do have a lot of really interesting programming around money. I know I grew up without having a lot of money and, um, something that my mom would often say was like, well, you know, everyone has their trials and ours is that we don't have a lot of money. Some people, and I know like in her heart, she was trying to be like so positive here, but she was like, some people have poor health or get cancer. And so I internalized this as a young child. And one of my biggest money breakthroughs was realizing that poor people get cancer too, (laughs) which is, it's so, I mean, that sounds horrible to say in a way, but like, bad things happen in life and having like some means of supporting yourself and taking care of yourself just helps you to have another resource to combat the bad thing. Like nobody's gonna, nobody's safe from the tragedies of life just because they're also in poverty. And two thoughts, some of the poorest people that don't have money have the richest lives of love and joy and and conversely the same exists in the opposite Um, some of the richest people are only um are only financially wealthy and they're so they're so poor otherwise so yeah yeah, that's one thing and then the other the other thing i wanted to say um hmm, it was thought while you were talking and i was like yes 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 i love what you're saying um Hmm, that'll it'll come to me yeah. ah when when I was little my family used to always make a not a joke but I I always I always pretended like lived in that fantasy pretend like little kids pretend imagination play world of being like beyond wealthy everything was like all all around having the mansion and the driver and the cars and the multiple this and that and the vacations and the homes. I just always talked about it as, as a little girl. And um, I guess at that time, dating back, it was much more normal for this to be the lingo that was said, but Karen's going to marry a rich man. Karen's always going to marry a rich person, like for sure. And so I always knew that I would have money and have wealth financially but I never knew that I was capable of making it because I always had it from my family. And then I did have it with my husband and I never was really, um, I didn't have the, the, I wasn't raised with the idea that Karen, you can do it. It was always Karen, you will marry it. (laughs) Oh my gosh. There's so much programming around that. Yeah. They're saying, well, Karen better be a CEO because she's got expensive tastes. They're saying. So, yeah. so I really, in my younger adult years, didn't, didn't think that I was capable of 
making my own financial wealth. And I, I was like, I, I lived in the economy seat in my own financial independence, even though I had money, I still didn't have financial independence. And that kept me in this chokehold of feeling like it's, 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 this is, this is it. And then I realized, I realized by spending time with so many people that were like, no, we can do this. And it's up to us to, to show others that they can do this. And if I didn't see it happening and that it was possible and, and I didn't have a rags to riches story, like a lot of them, then if they were able to do it, then I can do it. And, and that was like the impetus to make me feel like, okay, I have an interest, not in just doing this for me, but doing this for, for, generations of women for for my current generations of women for just our existence to know what's possible absolutely and there are so many women who are going to be inspired by that because they're they've been in that situation of being like yes they have money but like they never had their own financial independence and that might be um i think we talked about this actually in our last interview like it's harder to go from good to great than from horrible to good to good and um I feel like when you have been like, you've had it really, really bad, the motivation to get to a better place is omnipresent. Like it is always with you and pe people have done extraordinary things because their life start, started off so rough, but it's like a totally different level of discipline and self-belief to go from being okay to being amazing and being able to be the CEO and call in the money and have your own business. And one of the things that I love so much about being in the world of Alpha Femme is it's more normal to see happy, fulfilled, beautiful, rich women with amazing relationships than not. Like it's just so it's normalizing something that to me seemed like the Holy Grail or something that was so rare. So I just love that you're taking this and running with it and you're going to inspire so many women. You're definitely inspiring me. Thank you. You inspire me too. Um, I also think that what I've come to realize even more recently is being comfortable holding the duality of it. And so what I mean by this is that um, some people may feel uh, unrelatable to, to a woman who's successful. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I, I do whatever I can to, to remain connected and compassionate to whoever I'm speaking with. But given life circumstances, if there's such a, di a, a like a difference between where they're at and where they think we're at as, as like the coach or the, the mentor, um, it's, it's important to be able to teach women to hold it all. Like I teach classes a lot about the codes to having it all and the codes to having it all is holding it all and holding it all means it's not all just rainbows and unicorns and a bed of roses. It's holding it all. And that means that we're going to, in our work, sometimes trigger people. And that's what I have to get used to. It's not an intentional, unkind or mean-hearted kind of triggering, like I want to hurt you. But there is an opportunity of activation in that. And if we can activate people, um, particularly for me, it's working with women to activate them. It means that you're getting out of your comfort zone. That's really what it is. So I think 
a lot of people misconstrue the idea of like trigger and trigger is like a bad thing. Like that triggers me so much. It like sort of fires me up. But if we, if we just give a new, new, new meaning to the word trigger is it's activating you to move from something that's comfortable and status quo to something more, better, elevated, expansive, improved, then the, it's, it's like the stimulus and I have become much more okay with being someone who, who, who possibly triggers people at times. I love how you said, I stopped being triggered by sometimes triggering people. <laughs> that's exactly it. Like <laughs> I've definitely been triggered because I triggered someone and I'm like, oh my, oh God, my God, you know, oh no, I hurt someone. Oh no, you were bothered. Me. No, I didn't mean it like that, but it's like, well, yeah. <laughs> It's going to happen if we're, I, if you're speaking to everyone, you're speaking to no one. And if you are fully standing in your power and your truth, not everyone's going to like it. And that it's hard though. Like it's so easy to, for me, it would be so easy to say like, I'm not going to get triggered if I trigger someone anymore, but it's not a good feeling, you know? So I like, it's amazing what you're saying, how you are saying, like you are learning to hold the flip side and you are learning to hold that duality and it's okay. And it can be a good thing. Yeah, I mean, there's a few different categories I think that it shows up a lot as, but it, when when we talk about money, it certainly is a big trigger for a lot of people, a lot of people, most people. And it's a topic that triggers people to, to, to be more open about, but women don't want other women to see their vulnerability about that topic. And so it becomes very triggering. Like, so many people say I have to pay my bills or I, I, I have no money. I have this, I can't do this. I, and, and it becomes all the focus on what they, what they don't have the scarcity. And then the response very often would be, you wouldn't understand. Mm -hmm. And, and, and that, that is, that is the area of not wanting to talk about money. And I want to normalize discussions about money because the only way to, to heal money wounds and generational paradigms around money, whatever they are, whether they were scarcity, whether they were unworthiness, whether they were other people's beliefs that you took on, whatever they are, they can only be healed and processed if we actually um, have an awareness about them and talk through them, move through them, learn from them. Absolutely. It is, it is time for money to stop being taboo to talk about. We need to talk about it, especially as women, like we need to learn how to attract it and how, and then what to do, how to hold it once, like what to do with it, how to invest. These are really important conversations. And I think it's up to us to we just all have to be willing to have those conversations, even if it is hard at first. Yeah, right. It's because we have a hierarchy, like first, uh, first class, all that stuff. But there's also middle class, high, you know, um, the the elite class, and and because of that, that hierarchy makes us feel less than if we don't have. And um, Melanie has talked, and I and once I heard her say this. I totally changed my approach to bills. She said that when she gets a bill and she has to pay it, she'll write thank you on the bottom of it when she puts the, the payment stub in it or 
whatever it is, she almost has gratitude. And the thing is, is if you pay for something on a credit card and then you get a bill for it, you paid in advance to have the thing that you have. And there has to be an element of gratitude. So when you're paying bills, it yes, it's it can create something, especially when you're not in abundance. But the only way to create abundance is to think abundantly. And part of the abundance mindset to have that millionaire mindset is when you are paying your bills to have gratitude for the things that you were able to have in advance yeah. of having that, that, you know, I mean, you, even you get an electric bill, you, you've had electricity all month. There's gratitude there. So everything that we have on a bill that we have to pay is because we had the abundance and we should have some gratitude for it. We just forget. It's not that it's not that it's beyond us or like you're a bad person if you haven't. It's it's an opportunity to grow and learn from. That's all. Absolutely. That is so powerful. What an amazing practice. Just like, thank you. Thank you for this home that I live in. Thank you for this car that I drive. Like all those little bills that we pay all throughout the month. I am grateful for my car every time I get in it. I have a gorgeous car and and I I love it. And it gets me, yes, as practically from, from A to B. But every time I get in my car, I feel very luxurious. It's, it makes me feel beautiful. I, I feel joyful in it. It's a first class vehicle. That's why I have it. You know, could 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 our monthly pay, um, payments be less with a with a different car? Sure, but it's one of those luxury items that I've said. Well, that's where my first class ticket is. That's part of my first class life. I love that so much. Yeah, and I think it's so cool because it's like. It's something that you are going to have an experience with almost every single day. So if you can afford for that experience to be really wonderful, why wouldn't you want that? Just so that you could have like a lower car payment. Right. But the thing is, is that it doesn't have to be the same for everyone. Like, for instance, some people may value the idea of organic food. And then the wealthiest person may be like, I don't, I don't really, I couldn't care less about organic. So mm -hmm. It's, it's not necessarily that it's just better or having the best or the most expensive. It's, a, it's, it's what we value. And therefore, everyone's first class versus everyone's economy life or seat in, in those areas, um, it's based on what's valuable to you. Yeah. So for me, having the car I desire is first class lifestyle for other people whatever they drive doesn't really matter my my dad I remember when I was little he said that a car was just a place to get you to your destination and he didn't care at that time so for him or for someone that may not really be what matters most but maybe the place they vacation matters most or or maybe their kitchen matters most or whatever it is that matters more to them and that's where they want to experience the first class. It's just important that we don't only live in our economy because we feel that that's a sense of our our worthiness or our comfort zone or our like like ability that our, our life lot. Yeah. Pick pick what it feels like it's the areas you want to upgrade and live in that first class in at least some of the areas of your life. Yeah. I was just having a conversation with Emily Wilcox um, about money because that's what she teaches. And she was talking about not asking money for permission. And I think Melanie has talked about that before too, but just right. not, I feel like it's like, you're, you're the one in charge and you have to remember that like money is here it's an energy. It's not good or bad. And it's here for you. So 
you get to, you get to decide, like you said, like, what is important to me and what do I want to have like a first class life? And then getting into just, even just the mindset shift of going to money and saying, may I please versus like making a decision as an adult. That's, is, that's kind of what she was talking about in, in our podcast interview. Yeah. And in, in other words, I've heard it said as um, make money your bitch instead of uh, <laughs> instead of money making you its bitch. <laughs> that's even better. <laughs> that's gonna be my new affirmation. <laughs> well, if we if we let money control us, then it confines us, and if we control money, we 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 start to really experience like the abundance. Yeah, absolutely. Well, this has been an amazing conversation. I feel like I could talk to you all day, um, but I want to value your time. And so I would just love for you to tell us, how can we find you on the internet and plug into your work? Do you have any offers going right now? At this moment, the only offer that I'm currently working on is the 88 portal, which is next week. Um, and then thereafter that, I'm going to be working on some programs for the fall. Um, but my website is karendubie.com. My Instagram account is at karen.dubie. And um, either way, I think probably best on social media to find out whatever's up and coming with me. I always post new programs and in advance and the early bird kind of registration. So that would be the best way to really see what's up and coming. Amazing. Thank you so much for this conversation. This was so much fun and so much value. I'm definitely going to go back and re-listen to this myself, take some notes. Thank you so much for having me. I really, I love the conversations with you. You'll have to come on again soon. <laughs> Absolutely. Anytime. <laughs> Bye.